0: Right then, we're going to spend time in God's Word together again. So grab your Bible, turn again to the book of James. You might remember, if you were here last time, uh, that we've started a series in the book of James. And I'm going to read uh, from verse 2, just so we get a bit of a refresher on what we looked at last week. Um, but we're going to focus today on verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. So here we go, I'm going to read it from verse 2. It says this, Consider it pure joy My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So you might remember uh, from last time we we began by considering how the question, uh, how do we respond to the trials? of life, the the many and varied challenges that come our way, particularly those associated with being a believer in Jesus uh, in this world. And we began by looking at how we're to consider it joy whenever we face trials because we know God's about something good. Even if the trial itself is uh, desperately unpleasant, we know God is working good through it. And so we looked at joy and we looked at perseverance. That's how we're to, to respond, by persevering. As we go on, we're going to consider, in a way, another answer to the same question: How are we to respond to the trials of life? Well, by pursuing uh, wisdom, by seeking wisdom, trials are a gift because uh, they prompt us to seek wisdom. We, we realize, when life isn't going so smoothly, those are the times we realize we lack. We lack wisdom. You know, one day. Uh, we will be complete, mature, and not lacking anything. Uh, until that day, we're on a bit of a journey, and there will be times when we realise afresh, I, I don't understand, I don't know what to do, I don't know what my next step is. Uh, those are opportunities for us to seek wisdom. You know, if we had no trials at all, if everything in life went smoothly and as we hoped, planned, and expected... Then after a while, it wouldn't take long till we just sat back, relaxed, comfortable in our own self-sufficiency. We don't need any help. We're fine, thank you. But it's when we experience trials, uh, we have this opportunity for growth. By first acknowledging I need help and then turning in the right direction uh, to find it. I wonder if God were to ask you the question right now, what's the one thing you would like me to do for you this week? Uh, I wonder what your answer would be. Uh, now in a way I've already given you the answer really. Uh, that question came to King Solomon, right at the beginning of his reign. I suppose he was trained for that moment. He knew he was destined to be king. Uh, that time came, and God asked him that question in a dream, and you can read about that in 1 Kings chapter three. And he asks God, "Give me wisdom, help me to govern, help me to lead. Uh, help me to lead well, I need wisdom." in order to do that, what would you ask for? Well, we're encouraged here to pursue wisdom. And to help us understand that, to help us unpack it a little bit, we're going to consider three questions. And the first question is this. Well, what is wisdom? If we're supposed to uh, go and pursue it, we need to understand what is it that we're supposed to be uh, pursuing? And at this point, we've got to realise it's not just knowing facts having more uh, information um, or being regarded as clever. It's not just in the realm of of theory and being aware of what lots of people might have said on a subject. Wisdom, from the Bible's point of view, is something that is deeply practical. Uh, It's about knowing what to do in a particular situation that you find yourself in. There's a distinction there between knowledge might be to do with facts and information and wisdom. What to do with it? What's the next step uh, to take? Jesus taught a parable um, which you can look at in Matthew chapter 7. It's the, uh, the story of the wise and foolish uh, builders. I'm going to read that to you just so we kind of see this point. Jesus says um, right at the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Do you see there the the distinction uh, between knowing, knowledge, and actual practical wisdom? Because you see, both both the wise and foolish builder, as it were, represent someone who has heard the words of Jesus. They've got the information, they know what he said. The difference between them, the difference between being wise and foolish, is what's happening in practice. What's that person actually doing with what they know Jesus has said? Wisdom uh, is built on that foundation of, of, of practical understanding of what to actually do. It's not just about having ideas or theories, or even being well-trained. It's about knowing what's right, and what's right in the particular situation that we find ourselves in. There's uh, wisdom in so many different uh, places. I'll just give you one example from the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, chapter 3, there's some verses at the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in the Old Testament, Again, words that you might be familiar with. It begins in in verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under uh, under heaven. Let me give you a few examples from from verse 5 onwards. So for example, there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Uh, The problem might be for for many of us is we live life on our own personal default setting, uh, which means we've kind of chosen one of those options and we just run with that. In other words, it's always the right time to love. It's always the right time to gather. It's always the right time to embrace. It's always the right time to speak. Um, but actually, wisdom knows when it's the right time to speak or the right time to be silent. There might be others, and we've kind of chosen the opposite default. Oh, it's always right to be silent. I won't speak up. It's always right to hate and to confront, or uh, it's always right to, uh, to scatter. Uh, wisdom knows the right time for, for either of those, uh, those options. So... Second question, where does wisdom come from? Where can we find it? If we're supposed to pursue it, where do we go? Now perhaps that could be answered in a number of ways. Let's just consider for a moment the wisdom of experience. Some might say you get wisdom through experience and in some ways of course that's true. Uh, We try something, it works well, uh, so we do it again. We try something else and it doesn't go well, so we change, we adapt, we do something different. We do learn by trial and error. We do learn through success and failure. But if we are seeking wisdom only through experience, it can lead us into such a dark place. And maybe that's the, uh, the philosophy of our age, is experiment as much as you can. That's the way to wisdom. Maybe that's the approach to relationships. Like I remember a guy about my age when we were younger and he's just always in a different relationship with a different girl. Why why are you doing that? And and I think his way of thinking was, well, this way I'll gain experience so that I'll know when it's the right time, when it's the right one, when it's the right relationship because I've got all this experience. You think, no, you don't have experience. You've got a trail of, of emotional destruction behind you. You're not helping the women you've dated and you're not helping yourself. But that's the spirit of the age really. Um, kind of have as much experience as possible. Experiment, experiment with your relationships, experiment with your sexuality, experiment with your time, experiment with everything and kind of work out what suits you. Uh, I, went to, I had the, uh, the privilege some, last year at some point of going to Wembley Stadium and seeing one of my musical uh, heroes going along to a, a concert in the days when 50,000 people could easily gather um, in a big, uh, big stadium. And it just impressed upon me that this particular musical artist was just incredibly talented, so creative, so, so good at songwriting and all sorts. But it also kind of presented to me, your life has been hard. You, you, your wealth and your popularity have, have kind of created any number of options to pursue experiences to have and yet it's kind of broken you really and it's only now in your 70s that you kind of life is settling down to something that might look a bit more wise you see our culture I'm showing my age really you know I'm nearly 40 and most of my favorite musicians are in their 70s I know that's not the case for everyone but it kind of demonstrates actually where our culture has come from in the West culture has been formed around some very clever very creative broken people and we're all broken aren't we and sometimes we can look and we could admire our rock stars celebrities and think think of all the experience they've had but really they're broken and it's an example of folly don't build your life just on how much you can experiment with you've got to search a bit deeper go a bit further in your search uh, for uh, for wisdom ultimately wisdom comes from God Um, and there's a few places in the Bible we could look that just describe God in his wisdom. One place in Romans uh, chapter 11 and verse 33. This is Paul writing uh, in a letter and he stops and pauses for a moment um, just to praise and glorify God. And he he writes this in in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. God's wisdom is a, a rich treasure with a depth that we can't ever fully explore. It's an infinite wealth of wisdom that God has. So with that, he, he doesn't have to kind of scratch around searching for answers. Uh, he's not trying to hide his wisdom or protect it and tucking, tuck it away, as though if he gave away a bit too much, he'd have none left for himself. He is completely wise and always will be. And it just got me thinking about our, our worship, really, as a church community, and, and perhaps across... Uh, Western contemporary church life. What do we worship God for? And sometimes kind of listening to the latest songs, you you get certain things loud and clear. We're worshipping the God who is all-powerful, the God of miracles, the Almighty, the God for whom nothing is impossible. And we've got loads of songs about that. And we're worshipping a God of love and of compassion, of tenderness, of care. And these are things about God that will never change and never run out. And they're true. Do we worship God for his wisdom? There might be other things as well. Do we worship God for his holiness? We need to admire and appreciate all that's revealed in Scripture about the God that we know. He is completely wise. His wisdom is a treasure with no end. Let's ponder this and let's come to him. The third question is this. In light of this, How should we live our lives? How do we live a life that is pursuing uh, wisdom? And at this point, James doesn't go into lots of examples. We could could perhaps elaborate on how to live a life pursuing wisdom. He just draws on, on one thing, essentially, our prayer life. Uh, to begin with, his focus is not on all the things that we should be doing out there in life. His, his focus, living a life, uh, responding well to trials, involves asking God. When we realise that we lack wisdom, what do we do? Who do we go to? Who do we ask? Ultimately, this is to uh, to enhance and encourage us in the place of Prayer, the private place where we're tucked away, us and God, and we're pouring out our heart to him, and we're coming before him, and we're coming before him with faith. If we have appreciated, if we're appreciating God's incredibly deep treasure of wisdom, then what, we'll, what that will bring about in our lives is an eager, faith-filled, and single-minded prayer. Life. We're going to ask God. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. I wonder sometimes what what might inhibit us from asking. What stops us from asking? Uh, you know, sometimes we might stop, and we, and we might have our doubts, doubting almost like, is God too busy for me? You know, you've met that person, and you you're kind of like you are having some appropriately socially distanced chat, and, and then you can see sometimes. They just start to look over your shoulder, look somewhere else, just maybe check the time, I've got somewhere else to be soon. And our attention is divided. And we can perhaps project that onto God and think, I'm sure he's got something more uh, demanding, more important to give his attention to than than me. It's just not true. This is a doubt that we need to push away because of the word of God. It says here, we should ask God who gives generously generously. Gives generously. He is generous with us. He is ready. He's poised. He is focused. He wants to give. In fact, that word uh, generously is talking about being single-minded. Um, and Elsewhere, the scripture uses the same word to talk about how our giving could be generous. Our giving is generous when we are single-minded. It's as though we are completely focused on this particular issue in front of us and we have a desire to give and it's as though that's the only thing that matters. We are giving to that. And therefore, that giving becomes generous. But it's generous because it's single-minded. We're being told here, that's what God's like. When we approach God, let's not doubt He is generous in that way, utterly single-minded, focused. When you come near to your Heavenly Father by faith, through the blood of Jesus, he is utterly focused, even though he's got the whole universe to to sustain. He's listening to you. He's focused on you. He is leaning in to hear what you have to say, to to get your requests and to respond uh, to them. Now, we might doubt ourselves when we come before God. We might doubt our own motives. Uh, we might doubt our own understanding, but let's not doubt God. Let's not put him in that box. Let, let's be single-minded as well in approaching God because we have a God who's single-mindedly giving his attention and his focus to us. Let's ask God. And note as well that when we ask, um, we ask God who gives generously to all without finding faults. Maybe that can just be something else that kind of puts the dampeners on our prayer life. If I come to God, surely what's going to come my way in a sense is the disapproval, you know, arms folded. It's taken you a while, hasn't it? Well, the last time you came and asked me for help, you ignored what I said and did your own thing. We could imagine, we can rehearse in our minds, that that might be God's attitude. No, he leans in single-mindedly without finding fault. The the blood of Jesus covers those faults and he is eager to listen, eager to focus and eager to respond. That's the God that we have. We might have in our minds all our previous failures, all our previous um, sin or apathy and that can be an obstacle on our side, it's not on the Lord's side. If you're in Jesus, if you've you've received what he's done for you, the way is always open. Let's be eager, because we can be eager, because he bids us come, because he's eager to give. He's got all this wisdom and he wants to share it. And we can discover it in his words, um, in the scripture, in fellowship with one another, as we share what we've learnt from the Lord. God is eager to share his wisdom with us. Let's be eager to pursue it, let's be eager to ask Him. I wonder what your next week looks like. Yeah, let's. Maybe it's a case of just right at the, at the start of another new term. I think I'm 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 setting aside time to eagerly come into the presence of God by myself, with the help of the Word, and speak to Him, ask Him.